You know, in life we get good at some things. Some things that you do over and over and over. You know, you probably drive the same route to work every single morning, right? And you're pretty good at that drive. You know, you probably get up and do some of the same things every single morning. And you're pretty good at that. I mean, by now you've gotten pretty good at taking a shower, right? You know, you learn, once you do things over and over and over, you get better at them in some ways. Now, I've been, if, if you come to my house in the winter, okay, and come into my basement, you will find that it is typically very, very warm, okay? Because at my house, we heat my house with the wood stove in the basement. And I've been doing that since I was a child, okay? My earliest memories, some of my earliest memories are bringing in wood with my dad. This is a little guy, you know, out in the woods, you know, out in the yard, that is, loading up the, the wheelbarrow and helping him bring in wood. And so then whenever I became an adult and we built a house, one of the things I wanted to have is I wanted to have a chimney and a wood stove. And so I've been burning wood at my house for many, many years. Some of us have cut wood together, and those are good memories. But, you know, even something that you do over and over and over, you figured out how you can mess it up once in a while. Why is that? Just recently, just a couple weeks ago, I go down to my basement. Okay, I've done this. You know, you take a shower every morning. I check the fire every single morning, every night and every morning. I go down to the basement like I've done every other morning. Okay, I'd stalk the fire the night before. I go downstairs and I bend down. You know, I'm kind of sleepy. I haven't had my cup of coffee yet. And I open up the wood stove and all of a sudden, boom, there is smoke just pouring into my house. It has never happened before. I mean, it's coming out all the links of my chimney and I'm just like, what is going on? And just in a matter of seconds, I filled my whole house with smoke. I've been doing this now for like 20 years or longer, if you include when I was a child. I've been doing this for many, many years, and something went wrong. Well, you know something? Sometimes we can get so familiar with what we're doing that we can make a stupid mistake. So I did what every good son should do. I called my dad, right? That's what you do. I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, I need help. I just filled the house up with smoke. And my father, who's now 75 years old, he, you know, I've been doing this for like 45 years, years. He's been doing it for 75 years. He asked me a series of about two or three questions, and we nailed the problem right now. Told me exactly what I did wrong. I'm like, you're right. I was just being stupid. Listen, I want to warn us today against being stupid. And here's the stupidity that we can drift into. We've become so familiar with the gospel. We've become so familiar with the truth that I was a sinner, that Christ in an act of grace brought me life, and that now I am His child, His masterpiece, His workmanship that His Spirit indwells me and is working greatly in me. And I want to I warn us against the danger of familiarity to we make a stupid mistake and forget the wonder and the, the amazement of grace, of what God has done. Over to your Bible with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Maybe the premier passage on the grace of God on what God has done in us and how God found us and how God delivered us and how God made us alive. And now we are His workmanship. And He is working through us today as His children. I'm in chapter 2 of Ephesians. If you're just joining us today, we're working through the book of Ephesians. We do that here at Center Point Bible Church. We 
we allow the Lord to speak to us through His Word as we go through books of the Bible, chapters, sentences, just word by word, understanding what God intends for us to have from His Word. I want to read at verse number 1. I'm going to read all the way to verse number 10. Some of these verses will be quite familiar to you. Maybe some of you memorized some of this. If you haven't, along the way, think about, I wonder what I should put one of these to memory. And if God kind of prods your mind in that way, maybe you should underline it. And this week, put one of these verses to memory. Let's go to verse number 1. Paul writes, And you were dead. And the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived. And the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Pastor Billy spent some time in that passage last week. He reminded us that we are that we were, before we were in Christ, we were the walking dead zombies. We understood our lostness. And we're going to deal with that a little bit more even today. Verse number four goes on. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Today I want to look at just a common story that if you're in Christ today, is your story. A common story that, that every one of us, every, every, every human starts on this story. I trust that you are in Christ today, you've put your trust in Jesus, that you are saved by grace through faith, and so your story has continued all the way through verse number 10. And I want us to understand what God is doing in our life. What is it he's doing? And so we're going we're gonna to package this in a, in a, in a way that, that maybe you'll catch this. We're going to talk about our shared past. That we all have a shared past. And we all have an amazing present right now, what God is doing in your life. And we have a confident future of what God is, is working in your life. And so we can go through struggles. We can go through challenging times now in our life. And we can know that God is working a plan. That God is working together a great master plan in your life. And he is, he is molding you. A loving, able father who loves you. And he is molding you to the image of his son. 
And so he would say that you are his masterpiece, his workmanship, his creation, his work of artistry, that he has put you together in that way. Now we've got to start with the bad. We've got to start with the bad. And the word I want you to remember here is the word dead. The word dead. For the first three verses, kind of the key word for us is dead. Notice what it says, that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now dead simply means dead. We all kind of know what that means, okay? This is just a corpse. This is an unresponsive, I want to say person, but... But but they are a person, I guess, is an unresponsive person. There is no life in this individual. And what, what Paul is saying is the Spirit of God has moved in him is that this person, that we were all this once, that we were dead in the trespasses and sins. Unresponsive to the Lord. You and I, this was the nature of us when we were born. Romans 5 verses 12 and 13 explain That when Adam sinned, with that sin came the curse that all of mankind would then be forever born dead. Say we were all born, stillborn. Before the Lord, unresponsive to Him. It was our condition. And as we've lived our lives, some of us, that deadness has revealed itself. And Paul explains how that deadness reveals itself. Look at it with me in verse number 2. It affects the way that we walk. Now when the Bible says walk, it doesn't mean the way that I walk. It doesn't mean my gait. It doesn't mean the way I stroll across the room. It means the way that I live. And so the deadness of our soul, the unresponsive nature of, of this person that I once was, reveals itself in the way that I live. And so that's why Pastor Billy said last week that before Christ, we were the walking dead. Because here's a reality. When you and I were, it was before Christ, before we came to Christ, we were unresponsive to the Lord. So therefore, we were dead. But folks, we were not entirely unresponsive. Dead people walk around responding. They do respond. Look at what the passage says. You went the way that you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh. We were dead, unresponsive to God. But folks, before Jesus, we knew nothing but to respond. Responding only to, number one, the course of this world. Before Jesus, we had no option but to respond to the course of this world. The world says jump, and dead men say how high. The the, the prince of the power of the air. This is Satan, who is ruling this world right now under God's authority. 
And when you and I were dead, dead men and dead women respond to this prince of the power of the air and also respond to the passion of their flesh. You see, outside of Jesus, we are dead, unresponsive to God. And so we respond only to the world, to Satan and all of his forces, and to the passions of our flesh. Now here's something I've heard people say before. I've had people say to me, you know, Lowell, I I don't really want to follow this Jesus. I mean, they didn't put it exactly those words. I'm kind of paraphrasing it. But they would say, I don't really want to follow Jesus. I don't want to follow God. I don't want to submit to God. I, I don't want to receive Christ because I just want to live life my own way. You ever heard somebody say that? Or something like that? I just want to live life my own way. I want to make my own decisions. I want, to make, I want to decide what I want to do. I want to do the things that I want to do. I, I don't want God telling me what to do. Let me fill you in on a little secret. That person does not exist. Outside of Christ, you are not doing what you want to do. You are doing what what the world calls you to do. You are doing what the prince of the power of the air commands that you do. You are doing what the flesh, what what the passion of your flesh calls for you to do. So the Bible says that that person is a slave to sin. You want freedom? You want freedom? You'll find it only in Christ. When we are dead in sins and trespasses, when we are following the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air and the passion of our flesh, we're not free. We are slaves. And how much it breaks our heart to see a slave in action. Have you seen him? Have you seen her? Have you seen the slave in action? I remember when I was a teenager, I was 14 years old, and at my high school, we had this weird thing that we could do. We could leave the campus and go to downtown Kaiser for lunch. We had an open campus for lunch. It was pretty cool, huh, Carla? That was really neat. We'd go downtown, you know, little shops, have 30 minutes or so, and spend your dollar and get a hot dog and a Coke and head home for, for class, or head back to school for class. I had a friend. One day we're downtown. We're standing there, he says, hey, look, there's my dad. We look over there, there's his father. Probably in his mid-40s. Looked like a normal guy, you know. We're watching him. He's coming down Main Street of Kaiser. He turns into this store. Now, it was a regular store, but it was known as the, sort of the deposit of pornography in Main Street of Kaiser. And in he goes. He walks in. Now, immediately, my friend and I are like, you know, just kind of an awkward silence, a, a pregnant pause as we wonder what he's doing. We're standing at the hot dog stand, buying a hot dog, buying a Coke. And out his dad walks, magazine under his arm, clearly 
he'd gone in there and purchased a pornographic magazine. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget the pain on my friend's face. Is he hurt? Because we watched, we watched his father show his slavery to sin. I didn't know what to call it then. I didn't know to refer to it as being slavery. I didn't know that. But I knew how it made him feel. I knew how it made me feel. Folks, there's, there's nothing pretty. There's nothing free. There's nothing drawing me or you or any human to a dead person responding to the course of this world. Now, not all people show this deadness at the same degree. Not all reveal this at the same level. I understand that. But you and I who are in Christ, we remember what that was, don't you? Do you remember what it was to do nothing but respond to the flesh? To do nothing but respond to the passion of it? To do nothing but respond to the course of this world? To the prince of the power of the air? And to hate it? Do you remember hating it? Do you remember feeling it and being and having the guilt of it and the anguish over it and wanting to be rid of it? Dead men long to live. Dead women long to live. They don't want freedom. They want Christ and the freedom that He brings. They want delivered from the slavery of sin. Dead men want to live. God has placed eternity on their heart and they feel the anguish over this sin. And you and I walk around carrying the message of the good news. We carry the message of the gospel. And there's a world of dead people that you work with, that you eat with, that you drive right beside of, that you shop with, that are maybe in your home. And they're longing for what verse 4 drives into. Oh, verse 4. Go to it with me, would you? Such great truth that we, we go into this amazing grace of what God is going to do. Let me read it and then we'll talk about it at length. Verse number 4. But God... So remember where we've been. We've been with dead people now, okay? We've been in the cemetery with dead people. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive. He made us alive. The thing that strikes me about several phrases that are coming our way in verses 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9 is we are now going to have fleshed out for us a truth that we encountered earlier. We encountered a truth, turn back to chapter 1, okay? Look with me at verse number 7 in chapter 1. We saw this truth, 7 and 8, and I want to just mention, mention what we talked about when we were here, and then I, now I want to flesh it out in chapter 2. In verse number 7 and 8, let's read it, and I want, to, I want to camp on one word and remind you of what we talked about several weeks ago. In verse number 7 it says this, In Christ, in Him, we have redemption through His blood the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to, now here it comes, the riches of His grace. We have redemption, forgiveness, according to the riches of His grace, 
which He lavished upon us. Remember this word, lavished? It's a great word. Okay? It's a great word. Now, it's, it's interesting that it's translated lavished here because there are forms of this word throughout your New Testament, but never translated lavish. And I can't tell you why that is, but let me tell you what it means. It means to abound. It means to pour over. It means to just to fill completely to its utter limit. So here's what God has done. God has just poured upon us. He is abounding on us, abounding over us with His grace. With His grace. His grace has just been poured upon, lavished upon us. We talked about, imagine a, a pitcher, just, a, just with, an, with an unending amount of Kool-Aid, and I set a glass down and just poured it so the, the Kool-Aid just abounds. This is what God's grace has done in our lives. Now, why I'm, the reason why I want you to go back and see that and remember that is what's going to happen in verse number 4 through 9 is that's now going to be fleshed out. And I want us to see that. Okay? This, this overabundance of, of grace. He's, God was just lavishing upon us His grace. And I want you to see how it looks. Okay? Verse number 4. But God, being rich in mercy... You see, God just didn't provide mercy. He wasn't just merciful toward us. He was rich in mercy. Now here's what mercy means. Mercy means I am delivered from judgment. That's what it means. I deserve punishment and God has delivered me from that judgment. And God at the cross, God through grace, God through Christ, He wasn't just merciful, He was rich in mercy. Oh, great truth. As a dead man, I deserve the very judgment of God. And God kept me from that. And it goes on, it goes on. Look what it says, continue in the next phrase. Because of the great love with which He loved us. So God just didn't love His children. God just doesn't love His sons and daughters. No, no, no. See, it's abundant. It's great love that He has for those that are His. It's great love that has been shown to us at the cross. He was rich in mercy and His love is great. You see, this is the lavishing nature of His grace. God didn't just give you just enough. He gave you more. He gives His children more of this mercy. He gives His children more of this love. And it continues. This, this concept just continues throughout this passage. And it just, it just gets me so excited about what God has done. Notice what he says. Even we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. Well, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough for God. God didn't just make us alive. By the way, what did dead mean? Dead meant unresponsive. So alive is the opposite of that. So I'm no longer unresponsive to God. I respond to him now. I'm now living 
I'm not a dead corpse on the ground and the Word of God comes over me and there's no action. That's no longer me. I'm now in Christ. I've been made alive now. So somebody can stand up here and read God's Word and they can be exciting or not. They can be drab and boring. But your spirit in you is now alive. Praise God. Listen, I got saved at 15 years of age. And I heard the gospel probably over and over and over. I probably heard it many, many times. But the first time I ever remember hearing the gospel is the time I got saved. Because God did a miracle in my heart and made me alive and quickened me to life. But that wasn't enough. Our great God, our gracious God, He wasn't satisfied to just make you alive. A, He made us alive together with Christ. So as alive as Christ is, that's how alive I am now. Wow. By grace you have been saved and He raised us up with Him into the heavenly places in Christ. So listen, I mean, just, just allow this little illustration to go a little further, to understand what God has done. Picture a corpse on the ground, unresponsive. It does not respond. And God comes and does a Lazarus-type miracle, does a resurrection-type miracle, and makes that corpse come alive. And that would be great. I mean, Lazarus got a sweet deal. He's now walking around, talking to his sisters, you know, talking to people. Hey, how you doing? Let's have a meal. But that's not all that God has done. That's not all that Christ has done with you and I. He didn't just make us alive. He raised us up. He raised us up. And you and I, if you are in Jesus today, We will be with Christ for eternity. Raised up to where I'm no longer a slave to sin. I've been made alive. And I can respond now as the Spirit pushes me, prods me, grabs hold of me. And my new alive nature response that's not it it keeps going i mean the spirit of god he wants us to be overwhelmed with what god has done he wants us to be overwhelmed with what happened at the cross he wants us to be overwhelmed with amazing grace of what god has done so mercy wasn't enough had to be rich love wasn't enough had to be great alive wasn't enough had to be raised up and it continues notice what it says in verse number seven so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable now i like that term okay the old mathematician in me is getting excited now i'm picturing asymptotes and picturing linear functions. i mean nonlinear functions okay immeasurable Sorry, I won't nerd out on you too much. But this immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
It wasn't enough for Christ, for God to be kind to us. His kindness is immeasurable. Immeasurable. Now what is kindness? Can kindness is a, it can be defined as a sincere desire for the blessing of others. I like that definition. A sincere desire for the blessing of somebody else. So catch what this means. God, the maker, the creator, Jesus, the savior, the sustainer, the spirit of God, the indwelling one who comes and lives inside of you has such a sincere desire for your blessing, for your goodness, that the only word that the Spirit of God could use to quantify this was immeasurable, immeasurable kindness that God has towards you. There is no limit to the kindness that God has in store for you, His sons and daughters. Why is that? Because there is no limit to the goodness of the nature of God that you and I now have relationship with. What great truth. Over grace lavished now upon us. Grace lavished where mercy was rich. Grace lavished where love is great. Grace lavished where made alive is raised high. Grace lavished where kindness is, is immeasurable. And then the last one for, for today, you can probably find some others. They're, they're through this passage. Verse number eight. It says, For by grace you have been saved. And listen, if the Bible stopped right there with your saved, that'd be good news. That'd be great news. If you and I were saved, saved from the horrors of hell, saved from from the, the separation from God the Father, that would be horrible. But He lavished more upon us. He lavished more grace upon us. Notice what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this... Not your own doing. You see, I was so dead, by the way, little parenthesis here. I was so dead that I could not even muster up any faith. That itself was a gift. That itself was a gift. So Paul says he suffers all that he does for the sake of the elect that God might bring His grace to those that He draws to Himself. Close my parentheses. That's how dead I was. There, close my parentheses. And this, not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one in heaven will boast that they earned their way there or desire to do so. You and I will not stand before the Lord and tell Him the great acts that we did. As a matter of fact, Matthew 7 is something that's very clear to say about those who try that. Who stand before the Lord and say, Oh God, remember, didn't I do this and didn't do that? I did this, I, I prophesied, I, I preached, I led little children to Christ, I worked in the nursery, I shared you. What's God say to the boaster? Depart from me, I never knew you. You see, 
Dead people made alive have no desire to boast save in Christ. No boasting. Verse number 10. You see, saved wasn't enough. God lavished more in His grace. And verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, remember, before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 1, He prepared this beforehand, that we should walk in Him. You see, it wasn't enough that, it wasn't enough that God just saved you from hell or something. So many people, that's all that drives them to the gospel. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. And believe me, I understand that. I understand that. But in God's lavishing grace, He brings more to us as His children. He says that we are His workmanship. Some translations say his masterpiece. It's from this Greek word that we get the word poem. Okay? Imagine what a poem is. I'm not a poet. You would not want to read my poetry. It's a lot like Dr. Seuss, okay? Every word rhymes with hat. You know how that works, okay? That's how, my, that's how I write a poem. But imagine somebody writing poetry. The thinking over every single word. They're, they're contemplating over the next word. Over, over the phrase that they want to say. Over the, the rhyme and the meter of this poem as they put this together. We are His masterpiece. We are His workmanship. That He is working in us. He is working in you. This is the lavishing nature of His grace. He didn't just save you from hell. He didn't just save you from sin. He said, no, that's not enough. I'm going to lavish grace and make you like my son. Oh. Romans 8.28, 8.29. That he is fashioning us all into the image of his son. This was his plan. From beforehand. From beforehand. This is what he had in store for you. Now, I love this picture, okay? It's a, it's a wood carving. Um, something that my father does. He's, he's a craftsman. And, and he'll take a, a hunk of wood. He'll take a hunk of, uh, you know, different kind of wood. Um, I can't remember the, the types right now. Beech wood. That'll work. And he'll, he'll craft that into... Just little figurines, you know. You can, if you're ever in my office, you can see he made me a, a pastor holding a Bible and, and holding his hand out. And I'm going to tell you, you can take a lot of things from me, but please don't touch that, okay, because I might really get angry then, all right? You don't touch that, you see. Because my father crafted it with his own hand. And when I die someday, that'll be handed down to somebody because it was handed to me in great love. This is how a craftsman works. He doesn't just stumble in and pick up a piece of wood and start whacking away at it. That's how I do it. You should see it. It's horrible. It's not what he does. He has a plan. He chooses the wood. 
He chooses the instrument. He looks at the personality of the receiver that this gift will be given to and crafts this thing as a gift. Listen, I don't know what God is bringing you through right now. I don't know the details of what you're walking. But I know your story. I know your story. You see, we have a common story. We all have a shared past. Keyword, dead. A corpse. Unresponsive to God. And then some have seen the lavishing grace of God. And you have felt His rich mercy and you've responded to His great love. And you've been made alive and raised high. God saved you and is crafting you now into His masterpiece. See, this is our story. What are you walking? Are you trusting Him? Are you worshiping Him because of what He has done? Or are you so familiar with some of these words that they simply glance off the side of your head and you don't hear them? I call you to respond today. Is God's masterpiece and respond to the great gospel that he's working in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for the masterpiece that you're making. And Father, we will never boast in anyone but you. So Father, we get the joy and you get the credit. What a great truth. Lord, help us to see Help us to see the great riches that have been brought our way, that are coming our way, that are working our way. Lord, that you are working in our lives even now. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and the lavishing nature of it. In Jesus' name, amen.